Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Chris Peters of Flow Hockey and Mr. Worldwide, Corey Pronman from Basel, Switzerland, where he is at the World Under-18 Championships. Corey, what's the what's the report so far out there, non-hockey-wise, from Basel? What's the scouting report? I mean, both Basel and Porrentry, the, the two host cities, have been great. Uh, well-attended games, too, in both of the host cities, including the ones without Switzerland. There's been quite a few traveling fans from Europe and North America uh, going to the second rink. Uh, I think a very competitive U18 Worlds, especially the group in Porrentry, uh, where it's felt like every single game there has been meaningful and competitive, including a very surprisingly competitive uh, Sweden-Germany game and a surprisingly uncompetitive Sweden-Canada game uh, where Sweden opened the tournament with an 8 nothing drubbing of Canada, giving them a little bit of a wake-up call. So, But in general, it's been a, it's been a great tournament, and uh, we are recording this right now before the medal round begins. Full blame to Max on that front for uh, squeezing us out of the quarterfinal record slot I had requested. Uh, so we might some of the things we say now may seem outdated and stupid when this show actually posts. Uh, but uh, so far the tournament has been great. But please keep listening, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's still plenty to talk about here that's going to be very relevant. And hey, all it really means is that next week when we circle back on this, we'll have some stuff to update with. Uh, even more stuff to update with than we would have otherwise. Let's get right into it with with the prelims. Uh, and, and the big story of the tournament so far, I think, Starts with what's been the big story for the U.S. under-18s all year. It's the big line, Will Smith, Gabe Perot, and Ryan Leonard, all of them having really outstanding tournaments. But let's start with the the record broken, uh, which I think multiple guys by now have. Has Smith gotten that record yet, or was it just Perot? Yeah, they've, they've both gotten Austin Matthews' record now, but I think Perot's still ahead of the game a little bit there. 
all three of them have you know been consistently impactful. That line stands out wherever they've played, USHL, college, international. And I think all three of those players, to varying degrees, Smith, Perot, and Leonard, are going to be very high draft picks. If I had to say one of them is a riser, I think it is Perot. I think that's the guy when you've been seeing like mock drafts and rankings, he's normally been listed around the 20s. I don't think that's going to be a reality. I think you're hearing him now, but people I talk to here, more in the teens, maybe even higher. I think this is going to be a guy who's, uh, along with Leonard, is going to be a really high draft pick. You know, Between those three and Oliver Moore, who doesn't get to play on that top line, the top power play, uh, but honestly, his se- the second power play unit, the one with him and James Higgins and Nicole Eiserman, has been buzzing just as well as the first unit some, some nights here. Uh, you can ask any scout, I think, to put those four players in order, Smith, Leonard, Pro, Moore, and I think every single scout will put them in a different order, it feels like right now. I, and honestly, some don't even have Smith at one. Some would, would choose one of the other guys, but I think most would have Smith at one still. So I think those are they're, they're four really good prospects. And, and they definitely have shown here in the early stages of the tournament. Yeah, and I would say, too, you know, just to get to their their overall production. So we talked about, you know, Gabe Perot is now way past Austin Matthews' record of previously 117 points. Jack Hughes actually fell one point shy of breaking that record as a U17. Um, so he was the, the second guy for the longest time, and now they've both passed them. Additionally... Perot and Smith are at 15 points in the tournament, averaging 3.75 points per game, um, which would put them on pace if they played all three of the, if if USA plays in the next three games, which we fully expect them to do, um, then, you know, they're on pace to break the tournament, single season tournament or single tournament record that's currently held by Nikita Kucherov at 21 points. Um, you know, obviously the games get tougher here at this stage of the tournament. They're probably not going to average four points a game, um, but they still have a chance to, to really produce here. And what they've done over the course of the season, you know, I've been following, you know, worked at the national team development program, following it for as long. Um, I mean, I don't think we've ever seen anything quite like this. I mean, it was kind of thinking about, you know, we had Jack Eichel, Sonny Milano and um, uh, Alex Tuck, Tuck were aligned together. Uh, you know, we had. Uh, Jack Roslovic with Austin Matthews and Matthew Kachuk. Um, uh, Roslovic, obviously the headliner there. Um, and uh, and and then Jack Hughes, Cole Caulfield, and then a, a, a smattering of different wingers over the time that they were there. And you know, we're we're talking about this line specifically. You know, certainly the most productive. Every single guy is over forty goals this year, over forty five goals this year. Um, we've just never really seen something quite like this. And the fact that they're all going to Boston College next year makes it, you know, that the fact that we're going to get to see an extended version of of this trio. Um and we haven't talked about Ryan Leonard as much, but he had a hat trick in their last game and is 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 one goal shy of 50 goals this season. I mean, they this is a really remarkable group um that they've put together here and uh, I mean, I I still, you know, I still can't get over just how smooth and how clean and that, you know, the US hasn't been in a great bracket in the under 18, so we would expect them to produce but, I mean, we're talking four points a game against the best players in the world in their age group. Um, you know, there's there's just something special happening with that with those three guys. Yeah, you mentioned Leonard. He doesn't have the, the exact production of those other two, but there are some scouts I talked to who think just as highly uh, of if Leonard as the other two and think yeah. he might be the best of the three just because he has maybe the most pro traits between his competitiveness, his skating, yes. uh, et cetera. I think whenever we talk about records right now, especially in the context of double IHF tournaments in the era without the Russian national team there. Uh, they all need some asterisks just because USA got games against Latvia, Norway, and and Switzerland 
in in the same group. So you know that that's you know I thought the same thing, frankly, with Connor Bedard too. But his you know his quote unquote records at the World Juniors they're extremely impressive. Nobody's doubting that this guy's an you know an out of this world prospect. But I think all those things need to be considered, especially since like I think his records they were like combining the cancel tournament into that for some strange yeah. reason too yeah, or something that like weird. that. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, there's been some interesting math going on in, in, in this era. But yeah, I think all, all those things. Be, I mean, there's there's a there's a scenario again. We're recording this before the medal round. Thanks, Max. And you know where technically all three of them might break the record, and yeah. I think that would make the record maybe you know that, I think that would make definitely make you need to put an asterisk next next to that record if that were to happen. But it's possible. I definitely I think for Smith and Perot, they are well. Uh, within striking range of passing Jack Hughes' single tournament mark of 20 and then Nikita Kucherov's mark of, of 21. So here's my question, Corey. You mentioned kind of not changing their stock too much for this top line. And certainly with, with Smith and Leonard, there's really not much that, that can change as they're both potential top 10 picks. Perot has seemed like the guy who's, who's kind of behind that pack for much of the year. And I think uh, the, the worry maybe, at least for me, has been like, well, how much of this is kind of a Sonny Milano, Jeremy Bracco situation um, more so sure. than, you know, you're talking about that Austin Matthews tier. Now, obviously, like Chris said, he's obliterated this record at this point. Um, but has his move to the point where could he challenge for kind of top 15, top 12, Gabe Perot, based on what he's done here? I think so. And I think when you compare him to Milano and Brocco, I think you have to remember that they didn't produce even close to this. So that's yes. part of it. Even though Milano got to skate with Jack Eichel, he didn't score at close to the level that Perot was at. Um, I would say that Perot's issues have been – like I said, you think you worry about the combination. I think with all three of them, you kind of worry about the combination a little bit, to be quite frank. But it was mostly that he's a 5'11", barely, winger who is a below-average NHL skater. And is not he competes fair well enough, but he's not highly physical. So there's there's some risk factors, the questions with NHL scouts with how well is it going to translate. I think with Smith and Leonard, because they're a little bit bigger and definitely better skaters, you're not as worried about the translatability as you would be with Perot. But, then, but the offense at some point gets to such a significant degree – where it's not just good offense, it's exceptional offense. And and now you're starting to think, okay, like maybe this is like a Cole Perfetti type of projection kind of thing. And, you know, so maybe he goes around 10, maybe he goes around 15. I think that's kind of where things are going to fall with him when it's all said and done. So as we're talking about records here, Chris, there's one more that I think we're kind of watching. And it, it, it's one that I would not have said there was even really a significant chance of, of falling when this tournament began. But Cole Iserman now has Cole Caulfield's 72 goals record in his sights. Yeah. Uh, we have seen some big underage performances before at this tournament. Um, but what has Cole Iserman shown you, and how impressive has it been to see him step right up into this this fully formed 18 team and, and uh, basically score at will for this tournament? Yeah, he has scored at will. I think since he's joined, you know, he, he played a, actually a little bit earlier in the season with the under-18s when they were shorthanded, and he scored two goals in that game too. Um, I think he scored 25 of or 26 maybe of his of his goals from this season with the under 18 team. Um, but yeah, he's at 68 goals total this season. Um, has eight in the tournament. That's the most ever by a U17 player from the US. Um, that passed Phil Kessel and and Patrick O'Sullivan in this specific tournament. The record's 14 by Ovechkin. Think that one's safe, but you never know with Cole Eiserman because he he can score it well. I mean, I think the things that are very interesting about him is is just. Every time he shoots the puck, it it feels like it has a chance to go in. Similar with Connor Bedard, like we're like every time he shoots, it feels like it has a chance to go in. Um, he's da- dangerous on the power play, you know, tremendous one timer, 
Um, he scored a couple of goals and he can score in a variety of ways. He can get in, you know, get to the interior and get to the net. Um, but he's obviously very good scoring from distance, but I would say, you know, with him. Yeah. So right now he's, he's in a position where he has only four goals that he needs to, to get to, to catch Cole Caulfield's single single season record. Um, you know, and now all of a sudden we're, we're starting to talk a little bit about, so he's a U 17 Caulfield did it as a U 18 and both he and Jack Hughes were setting all sorts of records. They actually set a record on the same goal yep. that they had to split the puck in half because uh, I think Jack got like the all-time points record and Cole got the all-time goals record on the same goal. Uh, but, you know, but for Cole Iserman, you know, he, he's a really interesting player in that, you know, I don't necessarily think outside of his goal scoring tool, there are a ton of elite traits on top of that, but he is so good at that thing. Oh, I don't think that at all. I think his skill is off the charts good. Well, yeah, I should. Yeah. I mean, his hand skills, but I mean, like in terms of size, skating's fine. Like it's not amazing. It's better Um, than Caulfield's though. I think so. Maybe, maybe, but yeah, but I mean, like I'd say, yeah, but I mean, he's, he's definitely the things that he has done this season, you know, just it's never, ever happened at his age. Never, ever. You think about all the guys that have been through. It's never, ever happened. 68 goals. And it just, it doesn't even sound like it's a real number. Um, But, but yeah, but I mean, and the other thing too, that's interesting now, um, there's a lot of chatter and there has been throughout the season about what he does next season because he's committed to the university of Minnesota. He's done all of this. You know, I, I think that there's at least a discussion about potential acceleration. I think, if he, if he, we saw, we saw that happen with, with Noah Hannafin and Zach Wierenski, very rare that it happens out of the national team program. Um, but it is something that now you have to be like, well, he just did something no one else had ever done. He scored 68 goals. You know, is there much more he can do at that level? Um, I'm, I'm sure that everybody is currently exploring all of those options on that front right now. Chris, does it feel like to you that we kind of feel like with the program kids, if, Maybe not every year, but it feels like every two to three to five years nowadays, some record keeps getting broken. And like, what do you make of like, it doesn't feel like records have much security right now with the U.S. national team program. Right. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, I think I, I don't know exactly what to attribute it to because they're still playing as many college teams. They're still playing, you know, the USHL schedule. Um, you know, but I do think that there's a certain degree of the players are better. They just are. They're they're getting better in terms of the even though the leagues have gotten better too. I think to a, in a, in a lot of different ways. Um, they're deeper. There's t- teams are you know more structured. It's it tends to be harder. But I just think that the American player pool continues to grow in such a way and in such a variety that you know there's 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 been more of an emphasis on skill over the last you know 15 years where there's been the American development model there's been a lot more um gains made in terms of player development and so I think that's part of it but yeah I mean the, aside from that it's really hard to you know pinpoint in terms of what we're seeing I mean these players yeah. are coming in more prepared than they've ever been yeah like if these things happen during like the covid seasons and whatnot when they're playing a bunch of d3 schools is one thing but you look at their college schedule and it was a pretty competitive college schedule with a lot yeah. of big name schools on there yeah they beat a lot of ranked teams this year they were above well above 500 they 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 i think they only lost a couple of college games this year i mean and we're beating some of the biggest programs so you know i i think you know part of it is just the 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 guys that they're getting for sure because i mean if you look at this u18 roster 
outside of the top couple of lines, like at the, uh, throughout the season, the bottom of the lineup isn't necessarily that exciting or enticing. It's, and it's a pretty um, mediocre blue line too. Which, yeah, which is which is strange to see such this level of dominance from those players given those circumstances. Um, because you know, I, I, it's it's just hard. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to pinpoint. I think it just speaks to the strength of that top line and Oliver Moore. I think that top line looks yeah. like the Harlem. They they look like the Harlem Globetrotters sometimes during during games throughout the season. The, the, oh, the it's stuff been they ridiculous. pull off. Yeah, it's it's been like that's and in this tournament too. You watch, you know, every secondary assist looks like a highlight highlight real play. It's not like some like you know just throw the puck up the ice and let somebody else do all the work. It's like you know, no, Will Smith's going to dangle this guy here. He's going to pass it. It's going to be a one touch pass and then it's in. I did notice in the game against Finland in the first period that line wasn't really going too well and I think they were getting overly cute and I actually noticed in the second yes. period they did they actually didn't get a whole I think they only got like one shift together at even strength and I think that was maybe a little bit of a message sending but but then they had that incredible third period and they were doing all the same things they did in the first period that just didn't work I think that's <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think that's just that's what's just that's what those guys are one more quick thought on the US team before we move on here uh James Hagens is the other uh, the big other big time underager uh, having a really good tournament as well. Uh, we, we, he's not terribly far off of this. I think he passed Clayton Keller's uh, mark from from his under 16. I think he's he's third right now in the uh, age 16 season uh, under 17, I should say. Uh, your thoughts on James Hagen so far, Corey? Yeah, you know, he's kind of been playing in that bumper role on the second power play. So on the power play, you know, they use more. They use Eisenman as the, as the main guys who touch the puck and, and Cole Hudson, who's been fantastic. Too, since he's been called up, I think yeah. you know he's a guy who has a, you know a very bright future. Plays a lot like his older brother Lane, to be quite honest. Um, but but Hagen's at even strength, I think, has looked really impressive with his skating and skill and playmaking for a guy that he was going to be who was three drafts removed uh, from from being eligible. Um, you know, we haven't seen a guy play at this level at this event, frankly, since I think. Chris might be can remind me like since Austin Matthews frankly played at this event, and in terms of the, the impact a guy. As a late birth date in the age level below, has been able to have like Shremo played, but he didn't have close to that kind of impact. Um, so I, I'm not saying Higgins is is a Matthews level prospect, but but frankly, I don't think he's that far off at the same age. I think this guy's a, an extremely special player. A lot of rhymes to Jack Hughes in terms of the stylistic and and the similarities and the talent. Um, and the one of the other guys on this team that we really haven't talked much about it, I think is going to, to me, is one of the most fascinating prospects in the draft. There is there is one player on this team that we have talked about who is an A-rated player by NHL Central Scouting, projected as a first rounder, and that is the fourth line center for this team in Danny Nelson. And I and I wish I had an idea of what to make of Danny Nelson right now. For those who don't <laughs> know the background, this is a guy who joined the NTDP for this season. He wasn't with the program the prior year. He was a defenseman at Minnesota High School last season. He's played center all season uh, with the program this year. He can play both positions. People in the league aren't 100% agreeing on what position he actually is going to be when he is a pro. He's a 6'3". He skates well. Didn't have a good year. They don't really play him much on this team right now. But the tools are really significant. And and I will be really curious to see... Uh, where he ultimately goes. He was ranked, I think, in the 20s in North America when it went Central released their final list. Um, I would – it wouldn't rock me out of my chair, but I'd be a little surprised if he actually did go in the first round when the draft actually comes. But uh, but he is uh, – I will be really interested to see how his future goes. Yeah, and I – just to that, that point, Corey, too, like I have been trying all season to try and figure out 
you know, what, why, you know, like why, what, what is, where, where is this kind of, I, I mean, I get it. He's big there. Are, you see flashes of skill. You see various pops of skill. He's done well on the penalty kill in this tournament. I've liked the way he's actually looked in the role that he's played in this tournament. But I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, when you come and join a team like this, he played, played a lot with Oliver Moore, um, you know, and I think that for the first half of the season, he was just trying to catch up. He was just trying to catch up with the players that, that were already on this team. But there's, and a, so reason, now he's, there's, a, re- there's a reason Kerry Terrence is on that line right now, though. Exactly. Yeah. Cause Kerry Terrence can absolutely scoot. So, you know, and he, and he's kept up, he's kept up and that's, that's the thing, you know, and I, so I think, you know, Danny Nelson's gonna be interested. He's heading to Notre Dame next year. You know, that's a, that's a program where there's a lot of, you know, defensive kind of focus. Um, I, and I think ultimately, you know, to me, the projection for him is down the lineup. I think he can play in the NHL. I think he's got enough tools um, and the size. But, you know, I, I just don't like, you know, I don't think the players that the, the style that he would ultimately play in the NHL, I just don't think that's the kind of player you take in the first round. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, guys, let's let's move on to some of the other teams at this tournament. And, and I want to start with Canada. Obviously, a, a rocky start for them. Um, but one of the guys who has been of, of high interest at this tournament is a guy who came in at number four on Central Scouting's North American list shortly before the tournament began, and that's Matthew Wood. He he has been quite productive at this event. Uh, Chris, I'm going to start with you here. How surprised are you by by this from Matthew Wood, if at all? Oh, not at all. I mean, I, I think that you know, here's here's a guy that spent his entire season at the collegiate level. So he this this game should be a little bit slower for him, a little bit less physical, and and he's a big guy that is allowed to kind of throw his weight around. I mean, you know, he's playing on a good line. He's get he's putting. The one thing that I, I think Matthew Wood has done throughout his career is put himself in good positions. He always finds himself in good spots to score. He's able to use his frame to play down low. He's, you know, I think that he's shown in this tournament throughout that he is, you know, uh, at least among his peers, physically dominant to, to a certain degree. It's not that he's, you know, overpowering people, but he's just he's just really hard to get the puck off of, and he's making good plays and tight. But you know, I think the the thing with him is, I, I certainly was one of the people that that was not like shocked, but surprised that he ended up as high as he did on the central scouting list. Um, because, you know, he, he had a very good collegiate season. It wasn't earth shattering. It wasn't, you know, this, uh, um, you know, like we look at fans for, it's not fair to judge him against Fantilli. He but, did lead you know, UConn he, in scoring though. He did lead his team in scoring and he was a, a point per game player at the collegiate level as a, as the youngest player in college hockey at 17 years old throughout the entire season. The fact that he's in this tournament after a collegiate season, Speaks a lot. And here's, a, you know, he was on the team last year, so he got a little bit of experience. And I think that that helps as well. Um, but to me, I fit, I expected Matthew Wood to be a top player for Canada in this event. 
and that's exactly what he's been. I've really liked what I've seen from him. Um, I don't not necessarily know that it materially changes how I feel about him because I already liked him an awful lot for this draft. So, you know, I think that this is going to be, um, you know, just a nice cherry on top of what was a very strong season for him. I think he's played very well. I think his fellow winger on his line, Callum Ritchie, has played very well. But I think the big reason why they're playing very well is the center on that line. <laughs> and that is Macklin Celebrini, who uh, again, I think all of them have played well. But I think Celebrini, not surprisingly, the projected potential first overall pick, I think him and Cole Eisenman right now are the, depending on, on your taste, would be would be the guys right now for next yep. year in terms, of the, the, yep. terms of that pole position. Um, he has been, I think, the, the driving force of this Canadian hockey team. And and as and in a Canadian hockey team that frankly underwhelmed for large portions of the tournament, uh, particularly that eight nothing drubbing by Sweden, I think it's been Celebrini that's been the one guy who's consistently actually been able to generate offense and even strength for this team. Yeah, yeah. And one last point on Celebrini too is just the the way like the way he's played all season in the USHL. I mean, every single team goes after him. The he he has just this incredible ability to stay above everything. And I think that's part of that is confidence, but also, I mean, he's strong. He's, he's, he's physical enough. He's got the skill. He's got the skating. It's been, you know, to see him be a driver at this level with this team and to really, you know, and I agree, Corey, I think that, you know, he's made the guys around him better. He's done that all season with Chicago as well. Um, you know, I think that he's just a, a very, very special player that has so many key traits, including his poise and maturity that he's played with all year. I've just been, that's what I've, I've been impressed with most. He's, he's kind of like, you know, you talk to him and he's just kind of this, you know, soft-spoken individual. He's, you know, kind of, uh, I wouldn't say shy or anything, but then you sure. see him on the ice and he's just ferocious. And, and, uh, and, and, and I like, I like the way that he plays a lot. And I, I've just been really impressed throughout the entire season. But to see how he's done here, it's it's been really special. Yeah, like my player comp for him is like a Nico Heischer, like plus plus type of guy in terms of mm-hmm. the all around player, but just you know a little bit you know more dynamic, maybe like just as competitive, maybe more competitive and physical. Uh, sometimes we mentioned the two guys on that line and Celebrini and Wood. Wood was interesting. Was interesting because he was I thought bad at the Holinka Gretzky, and he was benched mm, yeah. in the important the important games. Whereas here they're leaning on him. But the guy who was both good at the Holinka and then good here was Callum Ritchie, who it's going to be a really interesting evaluation case because he ticks all the tool bo- tools you look for in terms of the size, the skating, the skill, the natural scoring ability, um, but didn't have the big year in Oshawa you expected him. But the underage year was good. The Holinka was led the tournament in scoring. And now very good here. So where Callum Ritchie ultimately ends up in the draft will be very interesting. I talked to scouts who thought he was probably trending towards the 20s. Some who even thought before the tournament he might even get out of the first round. I I, I don't think there's a reality where he gets out of the first round right now. And I no. think I think he could still go back to his potential teens level projection we thought he would be at the start of the season. A couple other Canadians I want to ask you guys about. Uh, one of them is, is Lucas Dragasevich, who – uh, obviously the profile here is that, that there can be some swings. And so far in this tournament, there have been some swings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was brutal against Sweden. Uh, but then, you know, in some of the more recent games, including that important game against Slovakia where they went right down to the wire, he played a, a big role in the tournament, played a lot of minutes, played a lot of minutes in the, in the game against, the, uh, against Czechia. Um, you know, his puck moving, his skill is excellent. 
but that's it has a really choppy and efficient skating stride and it limits him especially when it comes to the defensive play so i mean that's kind of where the concerns are and yeah he defended quite poorly in the game against sweden uh, they're they're bringing in Etienne Morin right now from the queue, who's been outstanding with Moncton between the regular season and the playoffs. So I'll be interested to see how Dragosevich's role evolves with Quinton Burns now injured, Morin coming in. Um, does Dragosevich's minutes get taken away? Is he still the power play one guy? We don't know this because we are recording this before the battle round. Thanks again, Max. And <laughs> uh, uh, but but Dragosevich, you know, I think there were I think he was considered a late one type by scouts coming in. I don't know whether that's materially changed or not, whether he's a late one, early two. But I think how he does in the hard games when they when it's like the game against Sweden where he really gets pressed and 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 uh, the leverage really rises, I think that's going to kind of determine his draft stock at the end of the day. How about Colby Barlow, who's a guy who, you know, obviously outstanding production this season. Uh, and, and I think a guy who we think has at least a chance to go in the top 10 or maybe at least uh, – Certainly, the top fifteen, you would think. I mean, I I hear that. I hear people say that a lot in the league that he can go that high, and I understand it. He's a good skater. He competes. The offense in the OHL is exceptional. If you look at like the top ten picks that have gone that high, Jeff Skinner, Steven Stamkos, you know, etc. Like he's Taylor Hall. He's up there with some of the the, the all time greatest draft eligible scores uh, as a sixteen year old, seventeen year old too. Like he. He has those numbers, but but when I watch him, and I think Chris echoes these sentiments, he just looks so vanilla. I think sometimes, like I get that he's there is some skill there. He competes. The shots really high end. You saw that in the I think it was the mm. first goal against Czechia where he had the shot there from the from the dots that went in. But it's it's tough, not just from what I'm watching here from the Holinka and from watching him all year in Owen Sound. It's tough for me to reconcile. Uh, the numbers with what my eyes are seeing, which is just a guy who does not drive the bus. Yeah, I I felt throughout the season and through multiple viewings and just you know seeing a good chunk and also in this tournament, you know ultimately I'm looking at ceiling and I'm wondering where you know where is the upside for a player like this. You 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 look at the numbers and if you just looked at the numbers, you'd say oh well it's 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 really high. But as to Corey's point, there just isn't a ton there there you know like you know what i mean like it's just it's just kind of you know he, he there's i i definitely have concerns that what we're seeing now is kind of towards the top of his ceiling already and i'm not sure exactly where he goes from here i've heard the devil's advocate argument from people saying well like, well mason mctavish was the fully developed physical product etc but mason mctavish at this tournament was far more dynamic like he oh he, yeah yeah but with the tournament in dallas he took over yeah, I think that that's and I I definitely understand that comp from just you just look at the two guys. I mean, you know, you had you had Mason McTavish with his full beard at the under eighteen worlds. You got Colby Barlow with one of the best mustaches going in 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 all of junior hockey right now um, at the under eighteen worlds. And and also just you know, there's that kind of that physical hard to play against kind of vibe sure. from them. But but I just yeah, I would say you know Mason McTavish is 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 a far was a far more you know, you could see the just the in, in, immense vision, his incredible shot. I mean, even in a better shot, and Barlow's got a great shot. But I, I mean, McTavish was uh was just incredible. You could score from anywhere, and and he was the driver of that team. You know, him him and Shane Wright were the drivers of the, that team and that 
um, in that tournament. And, and just, yeah, I mean, I, I, I haven't seen that yet from Colby Barlow. I wanted to see that. And I kind of expected to see that here. It's like, it's good skating. It's not incredible skating. He's mm-hmm. six foot. Oh, he's not, so not even six one. It's good skill, but it's not like, not bring you out of your seat skill either. So it's like, the shot is the big appeal there. And I think the compete is very strong too. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's, there's there's been a lot of watching this guy, especially as a winger, wondering where is this wow factor here for a potential top ten pick. I'm fine talking about him in the teens. I think this yeah. is going to be a very nice second line winger in the NHL, and if you can get a guy with the two way attributes, you know, in the teens, I think that's I think it's fine value. But in terms of a premium pick, I've like uh, I've just struggled to get in there with him. Yeah, and th- and that's an important point that he that he had to make. Like when we're talking about the guys that are going in that top ten range, there has to be additional scrutiny. There has to be because that's the 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 higher the pick, obviously, the more risk and everything else. But I, I'm totally on board with Corey here, where it's like you know if it, if there's this if we're talking about a ceiling that he needs to get to to be in consideration for that top ten, I feel like you know he falls a little bit short of that for sure. Only thing I'd add is you guys have talked about, you know, as we talked about the, the program kids, you know, the games are going to get tougher here at the end. This would not surprise me if these are the kind of games that Colby Barlow finds a way to make a little bit of a difference for Canada. We'll see how long they can last. I, I don't know that they're going to have a long run here, but heavy guy who competes well with a big shot who, who who can score in the dirtier areas. It would not shock me if his best games were to come in the medal round. I believe if the favorites went out, they would actually end up playing against the U.S. in the semifinal. Uh, and I think that game, if that happens, is the game that everybody in, in the prospect world, from media to scouts, has been waiting to see. It's been this great Canadian 05 age group with Barlow, with Dragosavage, and, Ry- and Riley Height, and Richie, and Wood, and, and all those guys going up against Smith, Perot, Leonard, Moore, and seeing who comes out victorious. Uh, the team that, that knocked off Canada to begin the term, we've alluded to it enough times by now, uh, Sweden. And, and I think the, the big story here is on the blue line for them. Axel Sandin Pelika had a monster game against Canada, but really there's three guys on this blue line who have really turned heads. It's Sandin Pelika, who we've known about all year. It's Tom Willander, uh, and it's Theo Lindstein. Yeah. And I think, I think we all presume Axel Sandin Pelika is going to go pretty high in the draft. I would call him a first round lock at this stage. Uh, could very easily be the second defenseman picked in the draft. You know, just incredible uh, hockey sense. Good, you know, good skater, competes well, can score goals. Not the biggest guy. And that's going to be the knock on him is whether he's a dynamic enough 5'11", a guy to be, you know, top 15, top 10 pick, et cetera. But he'll, he should be a, a solid first rounder. It really is the play of Theo Lindstein, his defense partner, and Tom Willander that I think has been the most interesting. I think Lindstein uh, was part his partner at the February tournament as well. You know, looks like a really strong prospect. He moves the puck very well. He's a good skater. You know, not the biggest guy, not that physical. He has offense, but with his club team, especially at the J20 level, didn't put up, really put up much of a numbers. You're wondering if this is this a dynamic enough guy to be a first round pick? But I think there's enough people in the league who believe that to where he's at least in the conversation. But I I do think if the draft happened right now, I think Tom Willander's going in the first round. I think you know he is one of the best skaters in the in the draft, and mm-hmm. I think the question on him all year is: Is there offense there? He's a point per game right now through through this tournament. He's scoring on the power play. He's showing some playmaking ability that I didn't honestly think was always there. 
this season, and I still have some minor concerns on the hockey sense. Is it going to be high enough to be a real offensive guy at higher levels? But I think he's showing it's good enough to go with really strong defensive play, exceptional skating ability. That I think he's been a guy who's definitely helped himself here. The forward, I think, who, who for Sweden is having a really notable tournament is Otto Stenberg, another guy who's been on the radar, certainly. I think at times we've talked about him as a potential first-round pick. After what's been a really good tournament so far, and uh, thanks to somebody on this podcast who won't remain nameless, we won't get uh, the medal round uh, in this discussion here. I'll just pile <laughs> on there as well. Uh, Otto Stenberg, Corey, has he solidified a first-round case so far for you? I wouldn't say solidified just because he is a 5'11 wing, and I don't think he's been a really tough evaluation case because every time mm-hmm. he plays for Team Sweden, he does this. He did it at the Holinka, one of the leading scorers there. He looked really good at the November Five Nations that Chris and I were both at. You know, February tournament, he was pretty good there, scored a hat trick in the in, in the last game. But when he goes back to play with his junior team at the J20 level for Lunda, he doesn't really look all that special. It's not just the production. You talk to scouts who watch him in those games too, they come away underwhelmed. And so it's not, you know, this dynamic toolkit. It's not exceptional club production, but but you look at, you know, he is a good skater, he has skill, he can shoot the puck, he competes hard. He shows up consistently on these national team games. So I, I do think, you know, if I was doing a mock draft right now, I'd probably be having him in the first round, but I, I don't think he's a comfortable first rounder. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I'm, and he's, he's been tough for me because, you know, certainly in, those, in some of the live viewings that we've had, really good. I mean, you know, really, really good. And then, yeah, I, I, would, I would echo those sentiments about, you know, the club production. You look at the J20 level in, in Sweden, and if you're not very productive there, um, it's not – great <laughs> it's not a great like it's a good level of junior hockey it is certainly not a great level of junior hockey when you look at it compared to say how somebody competes in the ushl or other league you know or certainly the chl you know that's when you're saying you know this is a guy that should be that is this good at his at internationally should be a more dominant player at that level right among first year draft eligibles on Frolunda's j20 team he is third in scoring yeah that's not good <laughs> it's not good. And yeah, I, I mean, and that's not a small thing. Now, yes, he's played SHL games this year. He's had an opportunity there. And and then as we've seen him, you know, we see, I think at the under 18 level, we've been able to see what he ultimately could be. Um, you know, but yeah, I, I would have to say for me, still kind of towards the end of my first, but it's it's not I would say his position there is tenuous, even though what we're going to see in his very last impression is going to be a very good one at this tournament. It's a really strange case because you have Noah Dow Nielsen on that J20 team who puts up exceptional numbers. And when I watch him with the Sweden national team, I literally can't find him on the ice some games. Yeah. It, yeah. But the guy in between them, so Dow Nielsen is clearly the best scorer on that J20 team. You have Stenberg, who's a little over a point per game. The second highest scorer on that team in terms of first levels, is David Edstrup, who's looked really impressive mm-hmm. in this tournament. He is a 6'3 center. He skates well. He's shown offense now at this level. Didn't always show it at the international level all season to go with two-way play. I think this is a guy who is – I think he is far more interesting a pro prospect than maybe I've given him credit for. I think this is – he's been a big reason for Sweden's success so far in the tournament. And he's gotten some SHL run as well and a little bit of production in, in his SHL run. Uh, as well, although Stenberg uh, basically similar. I think Stenberg got a little more run. It's true. Maybe had one yeah. more point in fewer yeah. games. Yeah, I'm not saying he's going day one, but I wouldn't like be shocked if that happened. I think he's probably a really early day two guy, but uh, I, th- I definitely think this is a guy who's trending strongly in the right direction. 
Mm-hmm. Couple more guys I want to get to here before we go to the mailbag, and and one of them is Dalibor Dvorsky, who I think is having one of the most notable tournaments of anybody really. And this is a guy who playing in the Allsvenskan in Sweden has had, you know, it, it's been up for debate what what to make of his season so far. But at this event, uh, he looks like a guy who's played against men. It, but it looked like it was up for debate there to start the tournament. Like his first two well, games, I thought he was kind of invisible, to be quite honest, at yeah. times. Or not like invisible, but not making an impact. And then and the skating looked, looked glaring. And you're wondering, where's the scoring? And then and then Slovakia, who you know played well against Czechia, wins the game in the shootout, pushes Canada right to the brink. And there again, you're like, oh, okay, this is a real team. It may not a really deep team, but they've got... Dvorsky and Maxim Sturback's a really good player, and this Uri Karchik kid's playing well, and they've got some other nice pieces on this team, and then they go up against Germany, and they're down 4-2 in the second period, and you're <laughs> like, what the hell is going on here exactly? And and if they don't get that game to overtime, they are going to the relegation round, and they needed a big performance, and then Dvorsky delivers a big performance when they need it. He goes four goals, one assist in that game. A monster game when they absolutely needed one, and and so you see it in there. And and Dvorsky, to your like you said, he hasn't it hasn't always been there this year. He's gone in a stretch of J twenty games in Sweden where he's gotten to play very well. You know he's has a history of playing very well, providing a lot of offense. But because of the skating, there is questions when he doesn't show up consistently on whether he can be an impact guy. Um, I lean to the answer being that he can be a good NHL player. Uh, but and but there's there frankly have been people watching this tournament wondering is he you know going to be Ryan Strom or is he Cody Glass because of the skating issues and I think those are the the struggles that I think teams are having with him right now. Yeah, what a what an interesting prospect and also an interesting another one of those guys where it's been a tough evaluation over the course of the season. But at the same time, you know, we've got such a body of work with him. Um, sure. You know, going back with with you know his his first the first, you know, busting onto the scene at the Holinka Gretzky cup and all those different things that he's, he's done as a, as a young player. And then, you know, to me watching that Germany game and watching a player take it over, you know, I needed to see that from him, even though it was against Germany, this German team has actually played very competitive hockey here at the under 18 worlds for a team. That's, you know, just kind of unfortunate draw for them in terms of the pool that they ended up in. But, you know, I would say, he needed to have a game like that. He played 24 plus minutes in that game in a regulation game. Um, you know, so for a forward, pretty significant, had over 25 minutes in the game against the Czechs. And to see him take over a game like that, I just even it didn't matter to the opponent. I just needed to see him do it. And, and, and it helps a lot. And then also just based on everything else that we've seen this year from him, I think that he's added a little more versatility to his game. I feel like there's some more detail to his game and I feel like he's, become a, a more well-rounded player overall but you know in this in this setting they need him to be a scorer and you know he finally did deliver for him i thought one thing that was interesting is i had a scout mention to me that just like in terms of criticizing Dvorsky is that he has nobody to play with in terms of the forwards on the team in terms of like legit skill and when you kind of look at maybe like his analytics in the, in the tournament i think i had someone show me that he has he led forward so far in terms of uh puck touches which I thought was you know, an interesting argument in his favor, probably because he plays so much, as, as Chris said. But I think this is a really good player, and the supporting cast um, just also isn't very ideal around him. Yeah, very fair, very fair. Another guy who I think, like Dvorsky, entered the year as a really high prospect and has had the, the ups and downs in the evaluations, Edward Shala. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you thought of Shala's tournament so far? 
I mean, I think it's been the same ups and downs. I think those first couple of games, particularly that game against Sweden, you have to kind of you know get the, the binoculars out to make sure that he's actually on the ice sometimes. But then the game against Canada, even though they lost, I think it was seven two. Was but but I but I thought I think it was seven two seven three. I forgot the exact score off the top of my eight, head. Eight but three. Close enough. And, yeah. But I thought Shale was excellent in that game. I thought you noticed him consistently. Not just that he got a goal and assist, but I thought he was, you know, playing with pace. He was creating chances. And I think that was that was the player when you watch it, you get really excited by the combination of size, skating, skill, playmaking ability. But that guy does not show up every night, and it is a concern. You know, he is Still a solid first-round pick, I think. But in terms of a premium guy, I have not seen that at this tournament. We didn't see it at the February tournament either where he laid an egg, I thought, at, the, at that event. And so I think I don't think this guy's done himself much favors this season. I didn't love his Holinka Gretzky. I thought it was good, not great. I thought his World Juniors were good, but he was, I thought, the third-best player on that line with Matias Apavalev and, and Yuri Kulich. Uh, but, you know, again, really talented player, really good track record, was one of the best your players, I thought, at this tournament as a 16-year-old. It's kind of weird that your 16-year-old tournament has probably been better than a 17-year-old tournament, quite frankly. Um, so, so again, he's been, he continues to be a very frustrating player and a tough evaluation case for me. As we talk about Dvorsky, as we talk about Shala, we talk about all these different, you know, some of these guys where we're like, I feel like the the 10 to 20 range, Corey, in this draft has has significantly jumbled itself in a lot of ways. And I think it's because of some of these kind of players where we're like, you know, we expected guys like Dvorsky to be there. We expected guys like Shala to be there or even higher. Um, but it's, it's kind of changed. I mean, so as you've, you know, I know you're kind of towards the tail end of, uh, of making a new list. How, how have you kind of been able to, at this tournament, has any of that crystallized a little bit better for you in that, especially in that 10 to 20 range, I feel like in this draft is where, there's a lot of um, lack of like a lack of consensus in terms of what that's going to look like. Yeah, I mean, we kind of say this every year in the summer when we're hyping up the next year's draft. There's a lot changes in the course of a year. Uh, you mentioned the years that Chalet had, for example. I think Dvorsky still had a pretty good year, even if it was at the, yeah, yeah. At the junior level, not at the pro level. But you know, we thought Braden Yeager scores 30 goals as an underage in the WHL. He's going to score 40. Doesn't even crack the number he scored as a 16 year old. In, in the WHL. So, you know, th- that's a surprise. Uh, you know, there's, you know, you thought Charlie Strable would go in and light up college. Doesn't do that. Uh, you know, so there's all kinds of things that change in the course of, of a draft season. But I think for me, it's been the strong play of the USA kit. I, I think Ryan Leonard's going to go really high in the draft. I think he's distinguishing himself in that regard. I think, like I said, you know, if there was, I think that bubble's probably gone a little bit bigger because of the play of Gabe Perot, to be quite honest. He's probably worked his yep. way into that conversation with Barlow, with Shala, with Dvorsky, uh, with, with Leonard, you know, with depending where you have them. Um, so I think, I think it's that group is definitely, um, you know, there's a lot of wingers in there. There's a lot of forwards in there. You know, it, it, it's been the story of the draft. It's a pretty forward heavy draft class. We had to figure out where all those guys slot in exactly. Uh, but uh, I would say all those guys, those guys we thought maybe high end guys, Dvorsky, Shale, I don't think they're high end, but I think they're in, they're in the next group. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and whereas I think in terms of the high end guys, I don't think there's anyone in this tournament that's really played their way into there. I think it's been guys outside of this tournament, like say David Reinbacher, who's, elevated his way into that group over the course of the season. Yeah. 
One more guy I want to squeeze in here if we can for the mailbag. Uh, we, we've talked at length about how there's maybe th- there's a debate at, at the top goalie in this class. And one of the guys who's, who's been in that conversation is Michael Rabal. Nobody saw more shots in the preliminary round than Michael Rabal. Handled them, maybe with the exception of the Canada game, uh, pretty well, putting up some some low numbers for Czechia. What's your read on Rabal's tournament so far, Corey? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we came into the question with an open question, with an open uh, debate on who's going to be the top ranked goalie in this year's draft. And I still think it's it's a rather open debate. Uh, you know, it, it could have been Rabal who had a really strong start to the year, maybe like from about December to like February, really tailed off, and then I think his last month in his in the USHL it was pretty good, and has a very strong tournament here, um, especially in that game against Sweden where he was outstanding. You know, they were getting outplayed significantly, and he kept it close right to the very end. Uh, so, you know, he's you know 6'6", good athleticism, good hockey sense. He's a very promising prospect. You know, he came in here, he thought, oh, maybe Carson Bjarnason could be that guy. Maybe with a big tournament, he can be that guy. To this point, has, didn't have that tournament, got blown out against Sweden, et cetera, et cetera. We'll see how his medal round goes, Max, et cetera. Uh, but, you know, you have the play <laughs> of Adam Guyon in the Null, in who has been – you know, some good stretches and not so good stretches, but, you know, really talented. Remember how dominant he was in the World Juniors. I think there are people in the league who think Trey Augustine could still be the first-ranked goalie. I don't think his toolkit is the sexiest of those four, uh, but his production is by far the best of the group. So I think those are the, I think those are the four guys in the conversation. You can ask any scout, and they would probably have, you know, each one would nominate a different guy for the number one, obviously, not everyone, because there's only four candidates, but you know what I'm trying to say. It's 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 very close between those four, and I don't think I don't think Rabal has been he's been really good, but I don't think he's been so dominant here that he has fundamentally changed what was already a contentious conversation. Yeah, and and I would say too, like in in a lot of these situations, we're not especially with a goalie like Rabal. It's 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 not so much the numbers, right? It's not so much how sure we we kind of have to look at the whole the whole package with him. He also was on, you know, the USHL 12 of the 16 teams in the league make the playoffs. Omaha did not. That just shows you the situation that he was in. And also not just, it just wasn't a good season for, and not a good situation to be in. So, so we, you know, we, we take in a numbers into a certain account. Absolutely. He's played very well in this tournament and things like that. But I mean, you know, we're, we're looking more at toolkits when it comes to goalies anymore. Yeah. And he has a very good toolkit. I also do wonder where he plays next season. Me too. (laughs) Can he get into UMass next year? I don't think he's going to go to college next year, and I'm not sure you want him back in Omaha next season. All right, good stuff, guys. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with a mailbag. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Okay, guys, let's get to the mailbag. Quicker one today, but still some good stuff, starting with Blake Murray, who wants to know, aside from David Reinbacher and Axel Sandin Pelica, what are some of the other RHD names to look out for that could spring a surprise going in the first round? We talked about Tom Willander. Uh, but he also suggests Hunter Brestevitz, Bo Aiki, Oliver Bonk, uh, any of those names or another name you want to point out. Corey, let's start with you on this one. I don't think Bonk would be a surprise. I, I would say no. I would say pretty solid chance he will be a first effect. Not a lock by any means, but because he's 6'2", good skater, uh, showing good offense, playing big minutes on a team going to the conference finals. Like I think he's above 75% chance to be a first round pick. We mentioned Tom Willander in the podcast. You know, We'll see how his medal round goes. But I think this is a guy who's trending in that direction. Um, I don't think he's a lock, but I think I see a reality where Sturback goes late one, early two. Strong, not really a great year in the USHL in Sioux Falls, but really good world juniors. I think he's had a good U18 world. Not an exceptional one, but he's been good. He's 6'2". He skates well. He competes well. Been the top power play guy for Slovakia here. Uh, I, I think... That's a guy who is a right-handed defenseman who can go pretty high. Chris, what have you thought when you've watched him this season? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been a little up and down. He was another one of those players that was on a team that, you know, missed the playoffs this year. So, you know, they they didn't necessarily have the puck a whole bunch. And and but it, it it forced him to learn a lot. I felt like he got better as the season wore on in terms of his defensive capabilities. Um, I, I agree completely with the skating. I think there's a lot of things there. You see that, you know, we're talking about toolkits. He just, he's, he's got one. He's got one that, that is, it definitely speaks to you. I, I think that there's certainly going to be some teams towards the end of that first round that are going to be taking a long look at him. You know, it's just, it's such a strange year for defensemen in general, um, for this draft. And, you know, we've got a, only a couple of guys that, you know, we feel like are, are, are pretty high picks. And then the, the back half of this first round could have a slight run on them. And I think, you know, if that does happen, it could be guys like Sturback. I think Bonk is in the. I think he's pretty firmly in the mix for that that first round uh, category as well. Um, guys like Brustevich and you know, I, I really like the skating ability. Same with Bill, Bo Aiki. I like you know, I think that there's there's something there. Um, but I just don't think that there's enough to say yeah. very comfortably that they're first round draft. I, I don't think. Yeah, they're not first rounders. Like I said, they're both good skaters. They both have good offensive puck moving abilities, but I don't think given that I think they're both around five eleven, six zero. I don't think they're either of them are dynamic enough to be first round picks. I'm the high guy. I think in the world right now on Gavin McCarthy, uh, I yes. think, I think he's a good player. I think there's a lot of rhymes, like I don't, when I see a lot of lists and I see where they have Sturback, I don't understand what the difference between him and McCarthy is, frankly, to be quite honest. I think they're both good skaters, similar size, right shots, both physical, limited off, you know, limited but good enough offense. So I see some, I see the lines drawing there. I think McCarthy and Willander, who are both going to be you, uh, will, are both guys who would be in that conversation in terms of right-handed defense and who could be relatively high draft picks. Logan Horn has one that I think is directed toward Corey. Why do you think you're so much higher on Daniil Boot and 
Dmitry Simashev than the general consensus? Is there something you think others are missing or overlooking in their game's projections? Obviously, Logan here is talking about, you know, kind of the public analysts because, uh, you know, I assume unless Logan knows something, uh, knows somebody in the NHL circles, uh, I think that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, I, I just think they're both. I think they there's a couple things. It's the toolkit. I think they're both premium athletes. They, you know, boots six five since they're six six four. They both skate really well for guys that size. I think they both have good offensive abilities. It's not elite, but good, especially boot. I think you know, they they tick a lot of boxes. They were big parts of an elite junior team in Russia this year. That loco team ran over teams frequently, and then they were playing big roles. On, on that team. And I think if they were both in the OHL, I think it would be no conversation that they would be high draft picks. I think it's a little bit outside out of mind, no international tournaments, uh, the, the Russia variable, et cetera. Um, but uh, everything that I've seen is I see, you know, like I said, premium athletes, good offensive abilities, good track records. Uh, like I think they, they tick a lot of the things you look for in a, in a, in a relatively high draft pick. All right, uh, Jan wants to know, we'll, we'll go to Chris here. Do you have a pro comp for Will Smith? And Vince A compliments that question with, curious where you would rank Will Smith compared to where Tim Stutzla was coming out. Oof. Oh, compared to where Tim Stutzla. Okay, well, that's different. Um, <laughs> Quite. Um, I, I actually might have yeah. him ahead of him at the same age, but like, or at least similarly. I mean, no, I had. In terms similar, of. Similarly, like in terms of like where I have like the projection. Obviously not now. Stutzel is just, you know, is, would be far ahead right now, but um, but no, I think I think they're both like pretty similar grades coming out. Yeah, yeah, I would think so too. I mean, like in terms of like physical makeup and different things and like style of play, I see a lot of you know like Troy Terry and in in, uh, in a Will Smith, uh, you know, in terms of the skill level, being a guy that can be a good shot pass threat. Um, you know, just a lot of different, you know, just highly intelligent in terms of the, the way that he moves the puck. I mean, I think that that's one of them. I mean, I've talked, I think just the dynamic puck skills that, that Will Smith has is, is such a separating factor. And it was something that we, at the same age, we didn't necessarily see as commonly with Troy Terry until he really started to come into his own as, as a college player. Um, but you know, like that's, that's kind of in the range in terms of, you know, and also Troy is a little bit kind of on the lankier side, a little bit, you know, not necessarily going to give you a lot of the physical elements that, that you, that, you know, you'd like to see in a center or, or wing, you know, even a wing at this point. Um, but that's, that's probably the guy that I'd say. And then in terms of, you know, where, where he would rank compared to Stutzla, um, you know, in that draft. Yeah, you know, I think that the the skating the skating is probably the biggest separating factor um, with Stutzla sure. being a far better skater. Um, but I will say that Will Smith has made a significant strides in his skating ability um, over the last couple of uh, over the last season plus, which I think has helped him you know more solidify himself as a top tier prospect. So you know if I'm looking between the two of them and I'm you know at the I, same I probably would have had at the same age I probably would have had Smith ahead. Yeah, because I think yeah, you would have said would have been wrong, but I would have said Smith's puck game, his skill, his hockey sense is better at the same yeah. age. But I think that would have been wrong in hindsight, given what Stutzel showing in the NHL. But definitely the skating would have been a differentiator the, there. Yeah, yeah, big uh, differentiator. Yeah, I've used Kuznetsov as a comp for mm, Smith. Yeah, um, sure. Max, I gave more of an aggressive one the other day. You said Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Yeah, I think there's some rhyme to it. I I could see yeah. that. I can yeah. see that, yeah. I, I I can see that one too. I did talk to a scout the other day who uh, has some skepticism and he asked me, I think, a really good question. He said, compare them at the same age, what's the difference between Smith and Jonathan Drouin? 
and Chris watched right. Duran when when he when he when he saw him at the same age. Yeah, and I had Duran ahead of. Oh, oh, I had him really high too. Now yeah. that is, you know, I had him ahead have, of McKinnon that year. So yeah, that was I mean, the first I year mean, I did a national draft ranking. So yeah, let's and not, that, let's not talk about yeah, that. Yeah, but you know, not all those guys follow that path, right? I mean, right, Patrick, right. Patrick, Patrick Kane had a lot of those kind of rhymes in his game too, right? Like, right, absolutely. Yeah, Mitch, absolutely. Mitch, Mitch, Mitch Marner as well, like you know. And, and I think this, this this is an interesting question, not to you know drag Smith because I I think he will be an excellent, potentially even a star NHL player. There is a question that I think is re- is reasonable, especially when you start start thinking of these comparables. Is is he for sure an NHL centerman? Right. Yeah. That's that's definitely been one thing that has been in my ear from scouts throughout the year. Is 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 he a center and does he do enough at the center position? Um, you know, and I I mean. To me, I I still believe he is. I know that there's plenty of people that would say that he, you know, I think that his defensive game needs to come along in order for him to play consistently. Yeah. Um, I don't worry so so much about like compete. I know there have been some questions about compete. There's certainly questions about physicality, which I mean, just at his his size and his strength, like it's just not necessarily possible for him. But you know, I, I think that uh, um, you know overall. I still think that the way that he drives play, the intelligence with the puck on his stick, he's a guy you want to have the puck an awful lot. And I, sure. that's why I think he could still be a center. I think he's a center too, but the one data point that keeps coming back to my mind is Clayton Keller mm. and how he was immediately a wing the second he signed in the pros and never looked back. <laughs> Even though he was a center and an excellent center who played up his age group, played with the 18s, when he was at the when, when he was at the seventeenth is what I mean. You know, this was a guy who was an ex- outstanding junior player and played the middle on that on that line with Kiefer Bellows and Joey Anderson, and then was a was a wing pretty much right away as yeah. a pro. And and how do we and also like just in that same same vein, you know, Trevor Zegers does get moved to center. You know, the Ducks take time to move him to center. Mm-hmm. How do we feel about that? That you know. That and kind Smith of is a be- direction. Smith is a better skater than, than Zegers, too. And it might depend mm-hmm. who the Ducks draft this year, whether <laughs> Zegers is going to stay at center, He's going to stay at center. Yeah, very yeah. well could. Uh, was Drouin's pace – I mean, was that would that be the difference with him and Smith at that no. age? No, I think Drouin was a really good skater. Like, oh, I mean, well, you watched Jonathan Drouin and Nathan McKinnon on that Halifax. As a junior, yeah. It was – and then the year after when it was Drouin and Nikolai Eliers there, like, like – oh. like, so that, that that was just like you know make a bag of popcorn and turn on the TV and 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 have a good time kind of thing. Yeah, those, I, those- I sorry Corey. Yeah, I thought Drewen was the next Patrick Kane for sure at coming coming out of there. It was crazy. I was in school, so that, that's a genuine question. I'm just trying to think of like what based on on pro Drewen what what I could have seen as the differentiator. I think the issue with Drewen became to compete. Um, yes. I think I think that was the biggest issue with him when he when he turned pro, and that's where I see a difference between him and Will Smith. Not that Will Smith is the ultimate competitor, but I do think that there is a a a, a higher drive to him than there was to Drewen at the same age. But that if, if you're going to pick a nit with Smith, some people have raised compete as one of it various times sure. of the year. I don't think anyone's doing it today eh. in the middle of this eh. tournament. But. And I, and, I, and I didn't I. I think that was the issue with Druin when he turned pro. I personally did not see that in him when he was a draft eligible. I thought the compete was fine. This was a guy yeah. who went to the World Juniors as a seventeen year old and was a top player for Canada. This was a guy who put a you know a QMJHL team on his back, like along with McKinnon, mind you. Even though I think McKinnon in the in, the, in that Memorial Cup, McKinnon outplayed Druin significantly. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I'll move on here in a second, but it's kind of an interesting needle thread here because we're talking about, on one hand, uh, liking him better than Stutzla at the same age, uh, not as much as Duran at the same age, and then we'll see what happens here. But just just kind of a little uh, f- yeah, how this, fine it, the needle it's is. It's an inexact science, needles. Max. It's an inexact <laughs> yeah, science. Yeah, yeah. Well, welcome to the headaches of our lives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Patrick McConnell, what are the Sens missing to become a cup contender? We can make up some time on this one because anybody have an answer other than goaltending? Nope. The, the goalie is is the big one. I, I think the roster in itself is not like fully fleshed out yeah. yet by any means. Like they, right. they're they're trending in the right direction. They are a good team. We'll see what they look like next year with the full year of Jacob Chikrin. Uh, you know, it's it's fair to say based on how the, that second half of the year went, that tr- that trade didn't age incredibly well for that team. We have to see how next season goes before we can fully grade it out. But you know, this this team wasn't you know they're good. No, I think they are a league average roster, but there's 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 more pieces to fill in there, and they have some good young guys. We'll see whether they they come in and help their team in any material way next season. But it's more than just a goalie. I think they need either more young guys to step up or to add just more veteran depth pieces to that organization too. All right, uh, Jackson says, is Leo Carlson truly projected as a franchise-changing player or rather a productive first-liner? This is a good uh, question on the lines of what we've talked about a few times on this show in terms of how do you kind of sort through what people talk about as like the super deep top of the draft. And it, it's super deep in that it has a few really special guys. But I think I think uh, uh, Jackson's on to something here and that Carlson probably more of like a good first-liner more than a true franchise-changer. Is that fair? Right. I mean, my comp for him is Miko Rantanen. Miko Rantanen is an absolutely outstanding hockey player who is a Stanley Cup champion, has been a huge part of that Stanley Cup champion. But do you think if Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr weren't on that team, that that's the kind of guy that you can kind of build around and can carry a team by himself? I would say no. I think he's a hell of a hockey player. And you know, deserves a ton of accolades. Uh, but because Carlson's, particularly his skating, isn't dimensional enough, I, I wonder if he can be the, that. I wonder if he could be the guy on a contending team. Right. And I think there's there's a difference between a franchise-changing player and a franchise-building block. And, and, you know, a guy that can be a cornerstone prospect for your team, which I think Leo Carlson can be. But again, we're talking about semantics and different... You know, when we're talking, okay, Connor Bedard could be a franchise-changing player. Adam Fantilli, possibly, you know, I think he could potentially be a franchise-changing player. You know, Leo Carlson, then we're saying, okay, well, this guy could probably play at the top of your lineup. He's probably going to be a significant player for your team. Um, And if you're, you know, depending on what franchise he goes to, depending on what they already have, you know, more than likely, if it's a team that's at the beginning stages of a, a rebuild process, he's a good foundational piece for that rebuild. He's not the piece. One interesting thing on Carlson, just to end, and I think it'll be kind of something to monitor here as we get closer to the World Championships. I'm not sure he's going to make the World Championships. From what I've heard, it's like I think he's on the bubble based on how many NHL players they get. Uh, he has been playing center for the Swedish senior team and do- and doing so quite well. And now if we're talking about him not as a wing, but as a center, you know, I'm not saying he elevates to like the Fantilli level, but I think now it's it's a little bit more of an interesting discussion point. 
All right, uh, Adam H., do you think Dvorsky has sufficient grit to project out as a high-quality playoff performer? He seems to have that extra grit, whether a 2C or 3C. If he can elevate come playoff time, he's going to be great, get anywhere after 6. I, I guess I probably didn't need to read the addendum. But uh, that question, Dvorsky gritty enough to be a, a top-six center in the playoffs? Maybe. I think I think he competes hard. I think he has some physicality. Mm-hmm. What I don't really like is where his like, – he doesn't – if you look at like where his offense came from this season, it was a lot of perimeter. I think it's because his shot is so good. He a lot of shooters, I think, get that habit of shooting from the outside too much. So I would like to see more interior offense from him consistently. You saw that in the game against Germany, got a lot of inside goals, you know. But I think I would like to see that more consistently. But off the puck, he's definitely physical, responsible. Um, but yeah, so I think maybe. The answer to that question would be kind of, but maybe let's see. <laughs> so added layers to it. Yeah, I, I think it'd, I'd be more concerned if I didn't think that he competed. You know, like he does. Yeah, he does. He go. Yeah. He's that. That. That's the thing where it's like, you know, what I think grit is kind of a relative term. You know, in terms of what it means to certain people, does it mean he's physical? Does it mean he's playing in the corners? Does it mean he's you know dynamic at the net front or whatever, or he can handle punishment? Um, but I don't, I don't think compete will be a, a a large concern for him, and that to me is you know the defining characteristic of defining characteristic of grit. All right, we'll save uh, we save the most uh, divisive one for last, and we'll go to you here, Chris. John D wants to know what is the proper topping for a hot dog at a hockey game? At a hockey game? Oh, at a hockey at a hockey game, it's different. Like I think at a baseball game, it changes, um, and I think uh, in a in a dinner setting, it also changes. In a hockey game, I think you got to keep it do, simple. Do, do, do you have a flow chart for this? I I I, I could break one. Like you I was, should. I I was only prompted that there would be a hot dog question. I you know, born and raised in Chicago, this is a very serious matter to me. <laughs> um, and and but I think at a, specifically at a hockey game, there's you don't want to have too much mess. You you're you're got you want to make sure that it's very portable. You want to make sure that it is very um you know that that you're not going to have any slippage. You know you don't need any slippage. So um. You know, I think that the best way to do that is to keep it simple, keep it with mustard. If you throw ketchup on that thing, I guess it's that's your preference, but I think you're nuts. Um, you know, and then the the only additional condiment that I think is acceptable in this setting um is is if if the place offers grilled onions, man, because that can really make a that can really make a hot dog sing, I'm telling you. Uh but yeah, I would say leave the relish aside, keep it with simple. Mustard is the best way to go. If they offer you a pickle spear, by all means, take that dang pickle spear, but not relish. I mean, that's too messy. So, but yeah, and even grilled onions are too. But I mean, it's that if it's worth it, and I think grilled onions are, then you say, okay, that's that's worth it. But yeah, I think keeping it simple with mustard is is purely acceptable as well. I think we're on the same page here, Chris. Usually, I'm a Detroiter. Chili is my go-to. I'm not doing that at a hockey game. I will no say. Uh, I do want pickle on the hot dog. I I would prefer it diced dill, but I do not want the relish. The relish is not, the sweet relish is not, that's a killer. No, bad stuff. Corey, you got got a take here or are you good to go? Corey's giving me the thumbs up. He has no hot dog opinions at all. I feel like you guys cover the bases. That's the most passionate I've heard Chris talk all all podcasts, to be quite honest. That's right. We'll wrap it there. Uh, Thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. Follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. You can also catch more of Chris over at Flow Hockey and his podcast, Talking Hockey Sense. And right now, you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for just $1 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Talk to you soon.